The content of CPR Unplugged is designed for entertainment purposes only and is not intended as mental health treatment or medical or mental health advice. Details such as names and locations may have been changed to protect individual privacy. Hello and welcome to CPR Unplugged. I am your host, Jess. Thank you for joining us wherever you are and whatever you're doing today. We're happy to have you. Today, I am joined by Kim Dubois. She's a licensed professional counselor, and she specializes in trauma and eating disorders. Kim, welcome. Hi, Jess. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. We're very excited. We're going to be talking today about your book, Find Your Words. Mm -hmm. And I got to say, the topic of the book, as I understand it, feel free to jump in and, and correct me here. I hesitate to use the word affirmations, (laughs) right? But it it kind of delves into, just like it says, the words we use, the language Mm -hmm. we use. Um, How would you describe? It really does come down to using affirmations, but not in the traditional sense. Language is with us constantly. We are always thinking. We are using language when we talk to ourselves, when we talk to other people. And the words that we choose can have such a tremendous impact on our mood and how we live our lives. So choosing the right words can be, uh, well, choosing the right words is actually really important, particularly if you're dealing with anxiety, depression, things like that. So uh, it really does come down to finding the words that will help you feel better. So we're not talking about the whole, you know, Stuart Smalley from (laughs) SML where we're looking in the mirror and I am, I'm a good person and I'm successful, that type of thing. Right. Well, it could be if those words feel good to you, but oftentimes they don't. There's, there has actually been quite a bit of research that over the course of decades that talks about the effects of positive thinking, the power of positivity, lots of stuff in the self-help world that talks about this stuff. But there's also been a lot of research that will demonstrate sometimes trying to be positive to just to never have a negative thought and always focus on the positive can actually make depression and anxiety much worse. Mm -hmm. So what I have found with a lot of the patients that I've worked with is that it often comes down to what you believe. So if you stand in the mirror and you honestly believe that you, how does it go? I am smart and people like me, gosh darn it, or something (laughs) like that. (laughs) I mean, if you believe that, then it will probably be helpful to you. But if you don't believe it, it often makes people feel worse because they're like, not only do I not believe I'm worth it, but I can't even do affirmations right. I'm that crappy. You know, I'm, I struggle that much. So before we kind of dive into that, what that looks like and how it works, how you structure it mm-hmm. um, when you teach it to other people and when you use it, how did you get into this topic? I, my first career is as a nurse and I truly love helping people. I was a nurse for about two decades, but somewhere along the the second decade, just decided that I wanted a little bit more autonomy. I wanted to be able to help people in a bit of a different way. So initially I went to school to become a hypnotherapist and I really, really enjoyed helping people in that capacity. So from there that led to becoming a counselor and all along that journey, doing research on my own, working through my own stuff. I 
really discovered this idea of changing the way you think to change your life. And so that's how the book was born. And it makes sense you would start with words because like you said, we conceptualize everything based on the language that we use with Mm -hmm. ourselves, with others, Mm -hmm. the way we experience the world. I mean, if you look outside and you can name a bunch of different things, right? Well, that's a tree, that's a Mm -hmm. labels, Mm -hmm. that type of thing. Absolutely. An exercise that I do with people sometimes to demonstrate the power of words, because sometimes people get a little caught up in, well you know what I mean by that, or, you know, it doesn't really matter as long as I'm getting my message across. But so an example that I will give sometimes is let's say you find a little bird that has fallen out of its nest and you scoop up this little baby bird and you think to yourself, oh, don't die, little bird, don't die. Change that to, I can help you, little bird. I know you're going to be okay. The sentiment is basically the same. You want the bird to be okay, even when you're saying don't die. But the feeling is very, very different. And so how you choose to express what it is that you want makes a difference in how you feel. And that's predicated by the words that you're using. That's pretty powerful stuff. So give us an example how would I do this? Because what always comes to my mind when I think of the affirmations and and statements, it's always an I am, Mm -hmm. which I think for me, I don't know, you know, to speak for other people, but for me, it's really hard to grasp onto. I feel like I'm lying to myself basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. So that goes back to that believability. So I can stand in front of the mirror. I'm about five, seven. So I can stand in front of the mirror and say, I am 10 feet tall. And I can say this a thousand times for the next five years. And I will probably never, ever feel 10 feet tall because I know that I'm not. There's nothing in me that believes I'm 10 feet tall. So when you're using an affirmation or just trying to have a thought that, for example, I am enough. If right now there's nothing in me that believes that I am enough, again, I either don't believe it and discard it as nonsense, or I actually feel worse because I'm so not enough. I can't even do this right, like I was saying before. There's a section in your book where you talk about should statements, the I shoulds. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit more about that. So should is a word that I do hear a lot by... Uh, patients, they, I should be better. I should be a better mother. I should go back to school. I should be in better shape, all these things. And oftentimes they're using this from a, a, a guilt context. It's something that they believe they should be doing and that they're not. And this creates a lot of guilt, anxiety, depression. So the exercise that I have is to help find what's underlying this idea that you should And why aren't you doing it if it's something that you truly believe in? So we start with just a basic I should. So do you have an example you want to try? Oh, yes. Okay. For those who have read my bio, I can be kind of type A. (laughs) So I should be more laid back. Okay. You should be more laid back. Okay. So first of all, I identify that as it's a judgment, right? I should be more laid back. And there's often that association that because you're not, you're somehow deficient. And this is something you want to change because you think you'll be a better person if you do it. Mm -hmm. So in this exercise, we just write the statement, I should be more laid back. 
then all we do is simply change the word should to could. I should be laid back versus I could be laid back. Okay, I'll, I'll try that on for size. Okay. I could be more laid back. Okay, so when you say those two sentences, do you notice a difference between them? Definitely. The, the should sounds much more... Um, like you said, it was more guilt-ridden, judgmental, negative. It doesn't feel mm-hmm. good to say that. Right. The I could be more laid back sounds a lot more optimistic, positive, inspiring. Okay. The feedback I get sometimes also is empowering. Um, to say I could gives the idea of choice. Mm. And if I have the ability to choose, it feels much less oppressive. So, so that's the first step is let's just change should to could. And then we add a couple pieces to that sentence. If I really wanted to, I could be more laid back. So why aren't I? So when you ask the question like that, then you try to come up with some answers. So mm-hmm. if, you re- if you're willing to. So if you really wanted to be more laid back, Jess, you could. So why aren't you? And what are the first answers that come to mind ah see this is where I hit a wall okay Mm -hmm. this is where I'm like how will because I go to my nature it well it's in my nature okay Uh, why am I not more laid back because that's just not who I am as a person because I've I've you know when I was five years old I was organizing books on the shelf like (laughs) I've been type a my whole life I understand (laughs) (laughs) so um then what? You know, if I get to this point, so why aren't I more laid back? And I arrive at the answer of that's just not who I am. Okay. In a therapy session, I would take some time to explore where did you pick up the idea in the first place that you should be more laid back? Who did you hear this from? Was this a judgment that was given to you perhaps by a parent or a teacher or some significant person in your life? Where did you pick up this, this message that you should be different than the way you are now. And then again, in therapy, we would spend some time exploring that. And then we would ask next, what would you rather believe? So if you do not want, so if you have arrived at the idea that being type A is just who you are, what do you want to continue to believe? That you should be more laid back or that, you're okay the way you are. Mm, Okay. Definitely want to believe, of course, I'm okay the way that I am. Okay. But when I say that, it doesn't sound true. Right. And so this, it always circles back to that believability. So then we start to play with it. So if you want to have, I'm okay the way I am as an affirmation, then we, we start to play, well, what doesn't feel good about it? I am okay the way I am. What part about that doesn't feel right to you? The I am. I don't think I've arrived at the point where I feel okay with the way I am just yet. Okay. And that is the issue that a lot of people have with using affirmations. So then I try to to play with those words. What would you, how would it feel to you if I asked or if I said the statement, I'd like to believe I'm okay the way I am. I'm allowed to believe I'm okay the way I am. I'm allowed to believe I have value even if I'm type A. And you just start to play with the words. It's not wrong for me to be type A. Mm. I'm still a good person. And you, you find the words that feel the best 
And it does take some tweaking and fine tuning sometimes. But often, if we, you often know the words that are right for you by how they feel. Um, And then that basically would become your affirmation. So what felt best to you? Um, I like the one I would like to believe mm-hmm. that I am okay the way that I am. Okay. So I would like to believe I'm okay the way I am. Does okay the way I am feel good to you? Or is there even some like muddiness or cloudiness to the way that feels? Would it feel better to change those words? Yeah, I think I would do a combination of I love all the different examples you gave. I could see how this could go in so many different directions. Mm-hmm. And being able to just try one on for size, mm-hmm. I like that idea too. Mm-hmm. So I can see kind of combining two of them that you had mentioned. I would like to believe that it's not necessarily wrong to be type A. Okay. So that could be your affirmation right there if it feels good. Sometimes it really does take time playing with it. Sometimes that feels good today, but tomorrow it doesn't. And so you do keep, you keep playing with the words a little bit. If sometimes it feels wordy to people and they want to shorten it. So I'd like to believe I'm okay. I'd like to believe I'm enough. And when you find the words that feel like they provide relief, you go back to that original statement. I should be more laid back. Every time that thought comes up, Because situations in our lives, sometimes we have a habit of beating up on ourselves. We have a habit of berating ourselves or that habit of just going back to thinking I'm supposed to be different. So every time that idea comes up that I should be more laid back, you come back at it with the affirmation. No, that's not true. I'm actually okay the way I am and I don't need to be different. And if it's working right, it provides relief from the original judgmental statement. Now, is it still going to feel, it feels better, right? Mm -hmm. Saying that statement that um, I would like to believe I'm okay the way I am Mm -hmm. feels better than I should be more laid back, Mm -hmm. but it still feels uncomfortable. Okay. It's not quite like I haven't settled into it. Is that something people can expect when they're starting to change the way they talk to themselves. Is mm-hmm. there gonna like, is there that ultimate statement that's just gonna feel right, or is there always gonna be just a little bit of discomfort as you kind of adjust? I would like to think that there is always a statement that provides relief. I think one of the misconceptions too about the way to properly use an affirmation is that it should always make you happy or it should always make you feel good. And that's not the case. I like to use the word relief. It should provide relief. So if you are very despondent and depressed, to think, to to believe you're going to find words that all of a sudden make you feel very happy is probably not realistic. But if you can just find something that helps relieve the deep depression and moves you just into frustration, that's relief. And it did its job in improving your mood, even though your mood is still somewhat of a negative one, you're not spiraling down. You're at least looking in the right direction. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. So then I've created an affirmation for myself. How do I use it? I mean, you gave the one example of Mm -hmm. when that old thought comes up 
to replace it with the affirmation. Um, are there other ways that you can take these affirmations and apply them on a daily basis? Is there a wrong way to use them? I don't think there's a wrong way to use affirmations. Some people have a lot of resistance to this idea because they don't like the word affirmations. Like, no, that doesn't work for me. It's positive thinking and it just, you know, people just say it doesn't work for them. Um, but if you think about it, the definition of, a, of an affirmation is just to affirm as if true. Coming from that point of view, every time I say to myself, oh, I'm so stupid. I did that again. I always do that. God, what am, when am I ever going to get it right? Those are all affirmations that you're telling yourself over and over as if they're true. Mm. I'm so stupid. I always mess up. So by telling it to yourself over and over, you are affirming to yourself that it's true. I'm stupid. So we're using affirmations yes. anyways. I believe we are using them constantly throughout the day. And we have ones that we tend to say to ourselves over and over. It's these habituated thought patterns. So when you ask different ways to use affirmations, I think to truly, truly affect change, you have to be able to change the habituated thought patterns, mm -hmm. which isn't easy. I have read estimates that we have anywhere between 50 and 80,000 thoughts a day and that approximately 80% of those thoughts we're unaware of. So if you have a habit of thinking negative things even half the time, that's, you know, taking the low estimate of 50,000 thoughts a day, that's like 25,000 negative thoughts a day, most of them you're unaware of. Oh my goodness. So that, there's a lot of momentum going in a negative direction. So trying to change that can, first of all, seem really overwhelming to people at times and just too daunting. Oh, yeah. That was the, oh, my goodness. <laughs> right. <laughs> wow. Right. So I like to just take the affirmations whenever you notice that you're having a negative thought, pull your affirmation in and just remind yourself, no, this doesn't have to be true. It doesn't have to be true. I'm not stupid all the time. It is okay that I made a mistake. You can call that self-compassion. Uh, you can call it positive thinking. There's a lot of ways. Um, I like to use sticky notes and put them all over the house or right on the mirror with a dry erase marker. Just remind yourself, I would like to believe I'm okay the way I am. And then while you're getting ready in the morning, you look at it and you go, oh, that's right. I, that's, I was going to think that today. That's right. I almost forgot. And it's just trying to create new habituated thought pattern. Nice. I like that. So I can imagine um, just from talking to you briefly, it sounds like there's a lot of layers to this. It could go in a lot of different directions and you could really get deep down into some things by, by looking at these statements that we use with ourselves and mm -hmm. changing them around. Mm -hmm. um, give us a little bit more information about your book. So okay. the book is called Find Your Words. Mm -hmm. Find Your Words, Words to Transform Your Life. It's very inspirational. <laughs> What can people expect from your book? So when I first started my own little self-assessment journey, um, one of the things that I noticed was when I would try to apply affirmations, even though they felt pretty good to me, 
it it seemed that they weren't working or my brain was finding a way to get around them and still come back to this really negative thinking place or this negative feeling place. So one of the processes that I have in the book is called walking it backwards. And really what that helps a person do is figure out what is the core belief that is motivating the thought perhaps that I am stupid or motivating a behavior. So for example, I give this example in the book. Um, There was a time many years ago when I would feel very irrationally angry at my husband. You know, maybe I just cleaned the house and I would come into the bedroom and there'd be a sock laying in the floor and I would explode like, you know, he had just done the worst thing in the world. And it was really disproportionate. My reaction was very disproportionate to what had happened. And so for me, that was an indication that there was something much deeper going on here. So the walking it backwards process is, it's basically motivational interviewing in in therapy, but you're just asking a lot of questions. Okay, so what's the big deal that this sock is laying on the floor? And then my answer was something like, but it's so disrespectful. I just cleaned the house. Why can't he just pick up his own socks? I'm not the maid. And for me, there was a lot of energy in that idea, I'm not the maid. So then I had to ask myself, so what's the big deal with feeling like you're the maid? Diving down into another layer, well, I feel like I'm being taken advantage of. I feel like I have no say in this house. Um, So, okay, what's the big deal with being taken advantage of? And you're just pushing it down layer upon layer. And for me, I arrived at something that to the effect of uh, being taken for granted uh, meant that I had no value. So that helped me realize that seeing the sock on the floor was really not about the sock on the floor. It was about me feeling that I had no value. Mm. So then coming up with an affirmation for that really didn't have anything to do with the sock or the house being cleaned. The affirmation was, I still have value, even when it feels like people are taking advantage of me. Mm. So the book really helps to break those processes down and help people understand how to arrive at the core beliefs beneath the feelings and the behaviors that you're trying to change. It sounds like this could be a very emotional process that people could really get into some deep stuff. Absolutely. Um, Particularly if you have a history of trauma, abuse, stuff like that, sometimes it really does uncover some really deep-rooted, painful memories or core beliefs or just issues that you have. So it's always good to have a therapist or a professional that you can go to and process these things with. You don't necessarily have to have a therapist to go through the exercises, but it's always good to have somebody that you can go to if it does bring up something that's really triggering or really uncomfortable for you. That's fantastic. And I got a full disclosure here. I have read the book and it does have, it has exercises throughout the book to help mm-hmm. you apply the information. Yes. Um, and when I first started reading it, I was like, I don't know about this, a little woo woo. I'm not <laughs> sure how this yes. is going to work, but it really did change my thought patterns. It really did change That's the awesome. way that I think about things. Thank you. So thank you. It's, it's fantastic. 
All right. So where can people find you? Where can people buy this book? Yes. So you can find it on Amazon. If you look for it directly on Amazon, you have to search by title and my name. It's a little bit buried in the Amazon metrics. So it's Kim Dubois, D-U-B-O-I-S, if you're looking for it again on Amazon. Or you can find that on my website, which is KimberlyDubois.com. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's been wonderful. I enjoy talking with you. Got questions or ideas for the podcast? Or perhaps you have your own story to share. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at podcast at crisisprepandrecovery.com or call 602-281-7795. You can also find us online at cprpodcast.podbean.com or wherever you prefer to find your podcasts. CPR Unplugged was produced by Crisis Preparation and Recovery, Inc. The intro and outro music was created by Rob Wilson. The CPR podcast team includes Tamara LaMontagne, Ben Edwards, Laura Kaufman, Rob Wilson, and Michael Magarinos. Special thanks to Jason Spisak for technical support.